The Fake Show Podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, now with two locations, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs, Mr. Antenna, and by Banger Brewing in downtown Las Vegas. Let's go back to the beginning. Isabella Stewart Cotton Museum was a artist's delight. Millions of dollars worth of artwork. Rembrandt, Degas, Vermeer. St. Patty's Day, 1990. Two men dressed as police officers show up at the door. And they say very dramatically, gentlemen, this is a robbery. There's no shortage of possible suspects. Boston was the Wild West. The two front brothers, well, the Italian mob, well, the Irish mob. Hey, how you doing? The mafia knew that having a stolen masterpiece is a get-out-of-jail-free card. The feds will deal with you. They'll let you out of jail. An easy, easy score, as they say on the street. In the early hours of March 18, 1990, one of the world's most lucrative art heists you may never have heard of took place in Boston. As revelers celebrated St. Patrick's Day around the city, two men made off with 13 works of art from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, with a total of $500 million worth of artworks. Among the art taken was Rembrandt's The Storm on the Sea of Galilee, the only Rembrandt seascape in existence. Right now, on on the line in Boston is the director and executive producer of This Is a Robbery. It's Colin Barnacle. Colin, welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, very good. Thank you. And, and first of all, I have to mention that I love your dad's work. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and he must be quite proud of the work that you and your brother Nick have put together here. It's just a great docuseries. He is extremely proud of us. I, I'm sure he's almost as proud of us as he is of the Boston Red Sox winning nine in a row. <laughs> That's saying a lot. It really is. I know that. You uh, direct and you co-executive produce with your brother. It's a very famous case, I know, in the Boston area. Why did you uh, choose to focus on this particular case that happened actually 31 years ago? Yeah, we're, we're from the area. We had heard about it growing up. Um, it had always kind of been talked about in no great detail, but it's one of these kind of great unsolved mysteries from your hometown. And it, um, it really shares more of a DNA and this is odd, but with, you know, almost like an alien abduction because yeah. there's no real evidence around the crime scene and there's no arrests and there's no adjudication. There's nobody going to court. So you're really relying on almost purely witness statements and, you know, people in and around the crime scene. And, you know, once you start to do that, you get obsessive about it. And it's just amazing, isn't it, how it's just 31 years, but how much has changed in terms of technology and security and everything else, because this particular art museum where this huge theft occurred, it just seemed so easy for the taking, didn't it? Yeah, and I think that was a kind of a lot of places in Boston at that time period. Obviously, this is the only place where it had the largest art heist, so there's some, you know, culpability there, but it's not a time period where you had Rambo on the door. You didn't have, you know, um, infrared systems like you do now or, or um, great locking systems, computer generated, where you're not going to, I mean, these, this couldn't have even happened today. The trees wouldn't have even gotten to the front door. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a slice of 1990 and, and specifically 1990 Boston. I don't know if this is the case, but was there ever a motion picture made about this heist? No. Uh, I mean, I think growing up, I always kind of thought Thomas Crown Affair was a 
kind of the DNA of this, and then you right. start to go into it, and you're like, oh my god, no. Steve McQueen, Pierce Brosnan was not in the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum that night. It was, uh, <laughs> you know, two guys with crooked noses and, you know, last names that uh, sound kind of Italian. I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but we, we do name names at the end of the docuseries. We, we tell you who done it and why they did it. It happened the day after St. Patrick's Day, which is, I guess there's no argument there, probably the drunkest day in Boston of the year. Oh, yeah. See, the real problem with this crime is, and it's not the problem, it's a, you know, basically the, the huge day is, a, is the parade, which happens the Sunday after St. Patrick's Day, which is on March 17th. Just so happened March 17th fell on a Saturday night in Boston this night, and these thieves go in at 124 on March 18th. So it's really right when the bars are closed in for St. Patrick's night. It's a kind of part and parcel of the whole of the whole day. So they're robbing it as everybody's feeling pretty happy um, in Boston, a, a large Irish town, and uh, you know they're waking up and rolling over to the parade. It's pretty much just a 48-hour drunk. Uh, basically that weekend. And Colin, just to go along with the the kind of lack of security, the security guard, one of the two who was on duty the night of this heist, he's in a tie-dye t-shirt and he buzzes these two guys in who are dressed in Boston police uniforms. And then he ends up, along with the other security guard, getting tied up and, and taped up over their mouths and eyes and everything. And it was just Interesting how the thieves went about their business then, because they hung around for quite a while, didn't they? Yeah, they're in the museum for 81 minutes, and um, most art crimes, a lot of major crimes like this, they have a, an inside job angle, and we definitely investigate that during the, you know, during the series. Were they comfortable because it was an inside job, or did they get caught in the museum for some reason? Um, you know, they didn't want to spend 81 minutes in there. They had to spend 81 minutes in there. You hear about art thieves kind of taking care not to hurt the canvas and, and uh, you know, tear it or anything like that. But these guys actually cut the canvas from the frames, didn't they? Yeah, it appears that they, they go in. I mean, these guys weren't art connoisseurs. They were they were thieves. They were, you know, bad guys. Um, they went in and they, they cut two of the frames out it looks like they probably did that almost immediately and they realized oh boy we can't roll these things up the storm on the sea is five by four and i'm driving a hatchback so i'm gonna have a problem fitting it in there uh and from that point on they seem to steal smaller and smaller items um they even leave one of the portraits they they were planning on robbing because it was just too big they couldn't get it out of their frame um so it does seem that they had uh, some inside knowledge, but not exactly a, a great uh, knowledge of the art itself. One of the prime suspects as we go along was maybe that security guard with the tie-dye T-shirt. Did you get a chance to interview him? Because I know in your documentary they, there was some CNN coverage of him. Yeah, so we actually partnered with uh, Steve Kirchin, who was a consultant. on the. Uh, he wrote a book about this crime. He had uh, kind of hours of interview footage with him outside the CNN footage um, that we used um, to kind of recreate the narrative. We had talked to him for five years, and it was strange. He did not want to go on camera. He would answer questions, written questions. Um, I'm not sure what kind of legal advice he was getting there, but uh, he was 
frankly afraid that he was going to get pulled back into a grand jury or maybe even arrested if he went on air and said something that was different from what he had said before when questioned. Is it true that you guys worked on this documentary for about seven years? Yeah, well, I think we first pitched it. Oh, man, yeah. I'm now adding up the years. <laughs> yeah. We first pitched it in L.A. in Los Angeles in 2014, and we were basically laughed out of the room because there's no ending to it. And then we really started to research and work on it and gather information in 2015. And we filmed it in 2016. Um, in 2017, actually we started filming, the first shots were in March, 2016. And, uh, we made a pilot in 2017. We were all raring to go. It was done by 2017. We were, you know, going to get it out by the 30th anniversary. And it, it was basically pitching it around for, oh man, you know, 14 months. Um, and that was a, that was a, that was a, you know, your hand, you're, you're wringing your hands for 14 months hoping that uh, somebody <laughs> yeah. picked this up, and uh, Netflix did. <laughs> yeah, and when you see how well done it is, it's hard to believe that it took that long. And me, personally, I like that kind of open-ended ending. It, it's kind of haunting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we didn't want to—I always say we didn't want to have the— um, Geraldo Rivera moment where, you know, he's going to search for Al Capone's vault below the hotel in the late 80s, and he opens up the vault, and it's a subway terminal, you know? Uh, (laughs) We didn't want to have that moment. We wanted to be able to kind of give the viewer a roadmap, but not a roadmap with like 18 exits off of it, a roadmap where they could actually go down it and figure out where the art um, is from, you know, one degree of separation away. And I do think somebody uh, watching it will, will um, I mean, it's the largest wanted poster in the world, Netflix. So if nothing comes out of this, no art gets back on, into the frames, then that stuff is gone. I was just going to say, as I let you go here, a $10 million reward for the return of those artworks. Are, are you kind of hopeful that this uh, series might spur new leads? Yeah, I'm extremely hopeful. And um, I think Netflix is too. They... They said yes to a, a project with no ending <laughs> to two guys who hadn't done a docu series before. So yeah. I think they saw the same merit in, in in it that we did, which is you know this will pop up. Um, this will pop up because of the docu series. Well, I love it, Colin Barnacles uh, and Brother Nick's. This is a robbery. It's now streaming on Netflix. Great talking to you, and good luck with whatever happens in the future with this. Thank you. I really appreciate that. All right, Colin. Bye bye. I thought what Colin said earlier made a lot of sense, that this was like an alien abduction. It was clean, no evidence about what just happened. This is a robbery, the world's biggest art heist, now on Netflix. And that finishes up this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. Thanks so much for stopping by. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. 